You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Okay, well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Good to have you with me today, and uh, hope everybody's looking forward to the Christmas holidays and a good Christmas. Uh, I think we're going to be looking towards the start of a new administration in Washington. I'm not thoroughly pleased with what's going on, but so far, so good. Uh, we have some good appointments being made by Donald Trump. I particularly like uh, the appointment to head the Department of Defense. Uh, we have a, a solid military man there, someone who I think will lead the department and look out for our troops. And I'm looking forward to the next couple of days when Trump is supposed to appoint somebody to head the VA. Because, you know, that's one of the most important things that I've been working on for years now, and so is the United States Justice Foundation, is the mistreatment of our veterans. Not just the fact that they're losing their uh, right to keep and bear arms uh, without due process, but also the fact that they're not being treated properly by the VA. And these are our people. I'm a veteran. I got two sons currently on active duty. I know David here's a veteran and he's got a son in the military and you know it, it's this is important to us. So I'm looking forward to who Donald Trump will appoint. And I look forward to working with the VA, whoever the new head of the VA is, on the concerns we have because I'm not sure how much is realized as to what's really going on out there, particularly in, the, in Washington, D.C. But, oh, before I get into anything else, <laughs> a couple of interesting things. The uh, recount in Wisconsin is apparently not going the way that uh, Jill Stein and Hillary hoped it would go. The recount so far has increased Trump's lead in Wisconsin. Uh, it was pretty much insurmountable before, unless they found thousands of votes out there that have been miscast. Well, they're finding just a handful, but the ones they're finding were Trump votes that somehow went were credited to Hillary. So I think that they got a little problem there. It couldn't be more embarrassing, and I love every minute of it. Jill Stein, I think, is, is finishing herself off as any kind of credible candidate or anything else for the future, Hillary should just crawl back into her hole and shut up. And basically that's what she's doing because she has no credibility anymore. As far as the Democrats themselves go, well, Nancy Pelosi and her ilk, Chuck Schumer, they refuse to accept reality. They think that the problem they had in this election was due to the fact that people weren't getting the message that they were for income equality, that they were for Black Lives Matter, that they were against the police, that they were against the military, that they were for more taxes, more government spending, and more regulations to put American businesses out of business. That was their message. And they said that people didn't understand it, and that's obviously why they voted Republican. Well, guess what, Nancy? 
and Chuck, people did understand the message. They've understood the message now for the last eight years of Obama. At least for the last four of his last, his last term, thank God. They understood exactly where the Democratic Party stands. It stands for abortion. It stands in support of Planned Parenthood. It stands for anti-police rhetoric. It stands for racism. It stands for bringing illegals into this country. It stands for bringing so-called refugees into this country, unvetted from places like Syria. It stands for not talking about radical Islamic terrorism. It stands for all the things that the American people are sick of. And they got their butts kicked. And they got their butts kicked, rightly so. And they don't understand it. They don't get it. Or at least they won't acknowledge they do understand it. I mean, Chuck Schumer, I've always considered a fairly smart guy, a far leftist, but, but smart, intelligent. I'm not so sure anymore. I mean, he doesn't understand what's really going on in this country. Or if he thinks the Democrats are going to come in when they got 25 Senate seats on the line in two years, and they're going to come in and take back the Senate and the House of Representatives with the same old rhetoric and proposals that they have now that they just got clobbered with, that he's living in Never Never Land. And Nancy Pelosi's always been in Never Never Land. I mean, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that woman is dumb as a box of rocks. And uh, but the Democrats, you know, they love that. They love people who are dumb. They love people who just will spout the rhetoric, repeat the same thing over and over again, regardless of whether they know it's the truth or not, regardless of whether they know it's the truth or not. They don't care. Their politics are racially based. They believe that they can win elections by appealing to race and gender and create class warfare, create race warfare, create gender warfare. They believe they can win that way. Well, they just found out they can. And they're too dumb to realize it, which is fine by me. Because I think that uh, with 25 U.S. senators, Democratic senators, coming up for re-election in two years, if they do what it looks like they're planning to do, and that's try to block Trump's appointments, try to do everything they can to stop the agenda of the Republicans, the agenda that the American people elected them to go forward with, that they're just committing suicide for their party. They're no longer even a national political party. Let's face it, they are the party of the California Hollywood elites and the party of the Hampton East Coast elites. Hillary Clinton spent the whole month of August while Donald Trump was out campaigning every day, making speech after speech after speech all over the country. Hillary was in the Hamptons or in Hollywood raising money. That's all she knew how to do. She didn't know how to connect with the American people. All she knew how to do was go to the rich and the elite and say, look, we need to subject these unwashed masses to our rule. We need to make sure that they shut up and do what they're told, and then we will have the America we want, and that's an America where we, the elitists, control everything, and the 
rest of you, the people, have to be our subjects. That's what that was all about. And the middle of America, and the southern part of America, and the Midwest, and the West, except for Oregon and Washington and California, rose up and said, no, enough is enough. We're not going to accept this anymore. But I warn everybody now, that some bad things are going to be happening in the next month. And it's going to involve the President of the United States doing as much as he can to generate more destruction of our economy by imposing more and more regulations on businesses. They've already canceled the Dakota Pipeline and said that they have to move it to some other place. We have hundreds of pipelines running throughout this country that carry oil or natural gas. There have been virtually no problems with the pipelines. The problems have come when they transport gasoline or oil in trains or trucks. That's when you have accidents. That's when you have spills. The pipelines have not been a major problem. In fact, there have been very, very little problems with them. Yet this is the environmentalists that are going after this, so Obama's going along with them because he doesn't want to see the economy in this country recover. He didn't, certainly didn't want to see it recover during a Republican administration. So he's going to be issuing more regulations. He's going to go after guns. Not sure what he's going to do yet, but he's going to do something to try to enforce the U.N. Small Arms Treaty which, of course, has never been ratified by the United States Senate as required by the U.S. Constitution. That hadn't happened. He won't even submit it to the Senate for ratification because he knows it's not going to get two-thirds. He knows it wouldn't even get a majority at this point. But he's going to try to start enforcing it anyway. One of my major areas of concern is, is what's happening right here in Texas on our border. We had a state court judge, and I don't know what, what she was thinking, and I, it sounds like she really didn't mean for the things to happen that did happen as a result of her ruling, but she came out and ruled on behalf of some left-wing pro-immigrant organization that detention centers that are set up in South Texas to hold and care for the children that are coming across the border, some with their mothers, some without that those centers were not properly set up to care for children. So all the children were released, or at least many of them, hundreds of them. Were they released to some kind of proper care facility? No, they were put, given bus tickets, put on buses, and sent off to parts unknown. They were dumped on cities and towns around the country. And more and more of that's happening. And now I found out that the illegals that are coming to the border are being coached by people who have been given by the federal government certain key words that they are to use. And if they use these key words, they are going to be allowed into the country as refugees. The key words include that they have a credible fear of being persecuted or harmed in their own country. Two words, credible fear. 
how many people coming across the border from places like El Salvador and Honduras and even Mexico are going to even understand what that term means, much less have it as part of their vocabulary. Not many, I assure you. But the Border Patrol agents along the Texas border and Arizona, New Mexico, and California, southern borders, have been instructed that if the people use this language, they are to be given bus tickets or plane tickets and sent wherever they want to go. They are not being held in detention. They're giving this sheet of paper that you can print out off the Internet and forge a signature on that basically says that you will appear in court sometime two or three years down the road, which does never happen. Let's take our first break now. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love in an ever-changing and volatile world. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. So we have an immigration problem on our southern border that's going to continue until President Trump hopefully steps in and does something about it. And we have... Problems that are going to be exacerbated by Obama before he leaves. And we're going to have the Democrats doing everything they can to block anything that Trump wants to do or anything the Republicans want to do. But the American people have spoken. And I think that what they have said is resounding and will ultimately lead to a lot of improvement in this country. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. But there's still a lot of work to be done. 
There's a lot of work I'm going to be doing. There's a lot of work in course that's going to be required. There's a lot of activity that's going to have to take place in the courtrooms because the democratic assault on individual freedoms in this country are going to continue, and they're going to continue at the local, state, and federal level. And I'm talking about freedom of speech being denied, school districts out there saying, oh, you can't celebrate Christmas, uh, that might offend some Muslim. So I know there was one school district that recently canceled uh, Christmas, basically, celebrations or decorations. Because of one person, the mother of one student in their school, complained, so they caved. That's the type of thing we're facing out there. And we're going to continue to face it. And that's what I'm going to continue to fight through my blog, through this radio show, through the United States Justice Foundation, and through my own organization, the Constitutional Law Alliance. And you'll be hearing more about that later. But there's something else I want to talk about today, and it's something that's, that's near and dear to me, and that is what happened 75 years ago today, December 7th, 1941 the date that will live in infamy. That's what the President of the United States at the time, Franklin Roosevelt, said. That was the date that of the Japanese surprise attack on the American Naval Pacific Fleet at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Over 3,000 Americans died that day. Most of them members of the military. Almost half of them were on the USS Arizona. Many of our finest warships were destroyed, including the Arizona. And the Japanese were initially elated over the damage they caused the American Navy. But they soon realized that their ultimate goal had not been realized for two reasons. Number one, they did not get our carriers. We had three aircraft carriers, two of which were at sea at that point one of which was supposed to be in port, but it had run into rough seas and had some mechanical problems and had not made it back into Pearl Harbor. So they didn't destroy our carriers. But their biggest failure was the fact that this was supposed to totally demoralize the American people. We were supposed to cower, we were supposed to cower in fear, and we were not supposed to stand up and get ready to fight Japan. It didn't work that way. Instead, they only succeeded in uniting the American people who didn't cower in fear, were prepared to go to war on two fronts, in Europe and the Pacific. Millions of American soldiers, sailors, Marines went to war in Europe and the Pacific not only to defend the freedom of the American people, but to free the millions of people who were being oppressed by the Japanese, the Nazis, and the Italian fascists. American casualties in World War II totaled over 105 million. There were 450,000 or 405,000 deaths. But the entire country supported the war effort. It mobilized. There were no anti-war demonstrations. 
None of our soldiers were spit on for wearing the uniform of their country. And believe me, anyone who had burned an American flag would have suffered severe consequences at the hands of their fellow citizens. So it didn't happen. Think about this. What would the outcome of World War II have been if instead of volunteering in mass to be in the military or being drafted in the military and submitting without running to hide in Canada or working in defense industries or otherwise supporting our nation by consenting to the rationing of gasoline, tires, food, etc. What if Americans had grabbed their teddy bears and coloring books and gone to hide in their safe spaces? so they could be protected from reality. That's what would have happened. That's what would happen today to a great extent. We have less than 1% of the people in our country fighting in our military right now, defending our country. We have thousands of spoiled brats, and that's the only way to define them, hiding in colleges, demanding that their tuition be paid, that they be given free college education, that they be given a free ride on a number of things, and showing nothing but disdain for our military, nothing but disdain for our flag, nothing but disdain for our country. I posted on my Facebook page a couple of weeks ago pictures of my two sons that are in the military and their safe spaces. There are two pictures of my oldest son, Major Sean Connolly, in an armored vehicle in Afghanistan. There are two pictures of my youngest son in his Black Hawk helicopter pilot, or his Black Hawk helicopter. That's their safe spaces. On D Day, June 6, 1944, Americans landed in mass on European soil. And there was one of the fantastic picture showing Americans coming out on Omaha Beach, coming out of their landing craft under fire, under heavy fire. And it was called Americans Leave Their Safe Spaces. That's what we had, but that's what we don't have now. The millennials today don't not only don't remember Pearl Harbor, they don't even remember World War II. Our recent, and the reason is they're not being taught about it. They're not supposed to remember it. They're not supposed to remember our heroism. They're supposed to look down on the United States. Remember, they're being taught in schools that all the evils that have existed in the world for the last 250 years have been caused by this country, by our freedoms. You've got idiots in colleges attacking Donald Trump, the newly elected president of the United States, but praising Fidel Castro. They don't know anything about Fidel Castro. He was a communist dictator. He killed thousands of people had him executed or thrown in jail because they dared to oppose him. 
He starved his, many of his own people to death. He tried to initiate World War III between us and, and the Russians, the Soviet Union. Yet, your millennials out there, a lot of them are saying, oh, well, he was a good guy. He, he brought education and health care to the people of Cuba. I can't say that he actually brought any of that. But if he did, he brought it with oppression and murder and barbarity that was matched only by his fellow dictators like Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, and Mao Zedong. These are the people right now who are supposedly being trained to lead our country. And they don't know anything about our country. I looked at the Common Core lesson plan recently, and by the way, I got, they got an email attacking me in my article, because I posted an article about this on uh, my website at www.michaelconnelly.com. And I got an interesting email today. And, you know, the, the left loves to attack me. And they love to attack me in emails. They love to try to post uh, vicious comments on my blog, most of which are blocked by the administrator because so many of them contain vulgarity. They can't seem to speak in coherent English to express their concerns. I don't mind a good debate. I love a good debate. Somebody sends me an email and disagrees with something I've got to say. I'll respond politely and tell them why I believe what I'm saying is correct. I'm not going to call them names, but boy, that's what they love to do to me. I got an email today from some woman out there who calls me a right-wing nut that I misread Common Core. And there was right-wing nuts like me who were isolationists prior to World War II and where we woke up because of Pearl Harbor and knew that we were part of the world. Basically, you know, I think that's what she was saying. It was a pretty incoherent email. And uh, I find this among a lot of the uh, left-leaning people out there, particularly the, the ones who are being educated in our current school system. They can't talk in coherent sentences. They can't express themselves. All they can do is name-call. But anyway, she, she was saying that I had obviously misunderstood or misinterpreted Common Core because of the quotes I made. Well, begin with, I didn't quote Common Core in the article. I mentioned what was missing out of their lesson plan for World War II. And this was a lesson plan that I saw that's being used in, in northern Texas, and I assume it's probably being used around the country. It's pretty much uniform. But they talk about World War II, and they don't mention the heroism of our military. None of our military leaders, such as Eisenhower, Patton, or Nimitz, are named. None of the major battles were discussed, including the invasion of Normandy, the Battle of the Bulge, or Iwo Jima. The discussions they wanted students to engage in were about things like the detention of Japanese-Americans, during the war and about racism within the military, etc. 
All the politically correct subjects were there to discuss, but nothing about the war itself, nothing about what America suffered. And what the world suffered under the dictatorships. Let's take our second break. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love in an ever-changing and volatile world. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. America's Web Radio is the most diverse and informative radio station anywhere in cyberspace. We have shows about health, business, current events, entertainment, home care, and everything in between. We appreciate your continued support of America's Web Radio. The situation with Common Core is unfortunately not something new. Uh, A few years back, when my late wife had become very, very ill, I had closed up my law practice and was taking care of her, but also making some money by doing things like freelance writing and and, uh, some consulting and that I could do from home. And and I was scoring the essay portions of SAT tests. This is, of course, a standardized student test for people who are trying to enter the universities and their colleges. And most of the SAT essays were on fairly mundane things. But when they did deal with history, I became get, started getting very concerned. And we're talking about, you know, four, five years ago at this point. We're not talking about this past year. But uh, I began to see things that students were saying about play, things like World War II that were totally incorrect. And not only that, scary. Now, if it had been just a, an occasional student, I would have figured, well, they misunderstood something the teacher said, or they misunderstood the textbook. But it became more and more prevalent over the years I was doing this. And World War II is a prime example. Students were saying that in World War II, 
we fought Mexico, or we fought Spain, or even England. And if you ever watch some of the uh, comments that are gathered from people on the beaches in San Diego, and there's a guy out there that is always asking questions, and then you have Waters World on the Fox News, he's asking questions, particularly young people, and they don't know. They're asked about World War II, and, and they're saying the same thing. That we fought Mexico, or we fought Spain, or we fought England, or they have no idea who we fought. And even more concerning to me was information that these students had apparently been given or had misunderstood very badly, which means they weren't being properly taught. And that was about the origins of World War II. They, some of them were totally convinced that we caused World War II because we mistreated the Japanese, because we refused to provide them with food, which they desperately needed, none of which is true, of course. But they also, several of them, and I'm talking about more than one or two, said that World War II was caused by the United States dropping atomic bombs on Japan for no reason at all, and then Japan attacked Pearl Harbor in retaliation. Now, that's just downright scary, ladies and gentlemen, that students are being taught that, or that they're misunderstanding what they're being taught to the point where that's what they come up with. These are just some examples of the fact that students in our schools right now are being taught revisionist history or incorrect history or no history at all. We're going back like 15 years now, I guess. 15 years ago, I looked at my youngest, was still in high school at the time, and I decided to look at the American History textbook just to see what it said about certain things. I looked at World War II first, and we're talking about a war that lasted for years, that involved the loss of lives of millions of people, that involved great heroism and great sacrifice on the part of the American people and millions of other people around the world. It involved a fight against tyrannical governments, Yet in this very, very thick book of American history, World War II was dealt with in one and a half pages. One and a half pages. So things haven't changed much for the Common Core. Now they deal with it in a paragraph. The Korean War didn't even merit a page in this textbook. So this is not something new. This has been going on for a long time. Miseducating our children. Changing history. Making America the root of all evil. Concentrating on talks about, on talking about slavery. Not about the freedoms that we achieved in this country or about the Civil War that was fought to end slavery to a great extent. That wasn't the only cause of it, but it was a major concern. And we're being told we have to be politically correct and we have to hate the South. 
We have to hate the Confederacy. We have to hate our own heritage if we live in the South. The fact of the matter is, is I had family members on both sides of my family, my mother's side and my father's side, who fought in the Civil War. On my mother's side, it was for the Confederacy. On my father's side, it was for the Union. My great-great-great-grandfather, whose name was Kennedy, by the way, was a school teacher in South Alabama, a 22-year-old school teacher. Actually, he was only 20 when he entered the war. He was 22 when he was killed at Gettysburg. He didn't own any slaves. He was a school teacher. They lived on a little farm on the edge of Livingston, Alabama, and apparently he raised some crops. He and his wife raised a few crops to feed themselves, but he made his living teaching school. I don't know how he felt about slavery. There's no writings of him about slavery, but he went to war for the Confederacy because he believed in his state. He believed in the state of Alabama, and he believed in the Confederacy. And he was killed at Gettysburg. According to the liberals in this country, the leftists in this country, I have to hate that man. I have to hate what he stood for. I have to hate the flag that he fought under, that he fought and died for. I'm not going to do that. I am tired of being dictated to by the Hillary Clintons and the Obamas and the political pundits and CNN who are telling me what I can believe in, what I can admire, who I can respect, and what I have to say and do. That was a revolt in this election. That's a lot of what this was about. People are getting tired of being dictated to by the elitist. And they're going to continue to do it as long as we let them get away with it. And that's what they're doing right now with our children and our schools. And that's what they're doing with the politically correct attacks on Christianity. You don't attack Muslims. They won't attack Muslims, and they don't want us to do it. They don't want us to say anything bad about the Islamic religion. They don't even want us to use the term Islamic radical, radical Islamic terrorism when referring to the terrorists in this country. I mean, they have yet to label what happened at Ohio State University just a little over a week ago, they have yet to label that as even terrorism, much less radical Islamic terrorism. Well, that's obviously what it was. People are fed up, and they're reacting. Today, the 75th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor and the beginning of World War II, Today is a day that we should be remembering and honoring the Americans who died there and the Americans who fought there bravely. Instead, the concentration of the media and our education system today, as is every day, is on eliminating, 
eliminating patriotism, rewriting our history, excluding Christmas from public schools or any discussion of religion, and destroying our constitutional rights. Certainly not teaching our children about their constitutional rights. They don't know what's going on. My father fought in World War II. He was an Iowa farm boy. He was working at a gas station after graduating from high school, trying to save up enough money so he could go to college. World War II broke out. He went to fight in the United States Army. When he was 21 years old, he landed on Utah Beach on D-Day. 21 years old, and he was one of the old men in the unit. The average age of the men in his unit that landed on Utah Beach was 19. So he was one of the old men. He was the first lieutenant. He had a number of different jobs. He was with the 87th Chemical Mortar Battalion, which fired the heavy, big 4.2 mortars, the biggest mortar in the world. The unit was incredibly good at what they did. They ended up being the most sought-after fire support unit in Europe because they were so incredibly accurate and so mobile. They could move quicker than the artillery could move. They could lay down fire quicker than the artillery did. Dad was not in a mortar platoon. He was not in charge of a mortar platoon. In charge, Stud was in charge of things like logistics, ammunition resupply, getting food to the troops, and most importantly, recon. He was sent out ahead of the unit, sometimes behind the enemy in lines, to look for targets of opportunity, enemy targets and also to look for places where they could set up the platoons, the mortar platoons, or the companies. And the four companies of this mortar platoon battalion were virtually very seldom together. They would be assigned to different units and support different units every day. They were incredibly active, and they suffered 120% casualties in the 326 days that they were in combat. And you say, well, how could they suffer 120% casualties? Well, almost everyone in the unit, the 1,000 men in the unit who landed on D-Day, was either killed, wounded, or captured. And a lot of their replacements were also killed, wounded, or captured. Let's take our final break, and we'll talk some more about this. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? 
All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Talking about the men in my father's unit during World War II is important to me. And in 1987, my father died. And I had his diary that he kept a meticulous diary during the entire time he was in the unit. And for the 326 days they were in combat. And that was 326 days straight without a break. They were in combat virtually every day. They fought at the Battle of the Bulge. They fought at the Hurricane Forest. They fought at the Cherbourg Peninsula. They fought on D-Day. They fought in Cologne. They liberated Nordhausen, one of the death camps. So it was an incredible battle. And after my dad died in 1987, I thought, I need to take his diary and maybe get it printed somehow so people can understand what went on. But then, when I was looking for more history on the 87th, I found out that an association, there was a website, and I found out an association had been formed several years after my father's death, an association of survivors of the unit. So I got on the website, and I got in touch with the head of the association, sent out, got the addresses of the survivors. At that time, there were about 300 people still in the association. We're talking about, this was Around 2000, I started this project. And they sent me information about the survivors. I sent out questionnaires to them, and I was inundated with information. They sent me excerpts from their diaries. They sent me photographs that nobody that they had taken that nobody had ever seen before outside of their immediate families. They provided me with a wealth of information. They gave me personal stories. They gave me humorous stories. They gave me heroic stories. Then, in 2005, just when I was ready to publish the book, they had their, their final reunion in Baltimore, Maryland. There were only 11 of them there. When I started writing the book, there were 300, like I said, in the organization. By the time I finished the book in 2005 and it was published, there were only about 75 still alive. And since that time, I have occasionally heard from others who were not a member of the, the group, but have heard from them who were out there. But I met with them, and 
they had a banquet. Their families were there. We went to the World War II Memorial. That was the only time I got to visit it. And it was such an honor to visit it with those men and their families. But they had a banquet, and my oldest son, who was back then a first lieutenant in the Army, had just gotten back from Afghanistan and was stationed in Virginia, so he came up for the banquet. And after the banquet was over, I took these 11 men, and I got to put them around a big big table in the hotel bar, and I ordered drinks for all of them, and I took my little recorder, and I stuck it in the middle of the of the table and turn it on and I let them talk their family members were sitting in the bar too but not at the table they told me later that from their fathers and grandfathers sitting around that table they heard stories they had never heard before and they wanted to know they couldn't understand why and I said because these are veterans talking to each other they're talking to each other about things that they went through, things that they will may never talk with their families about because they may not be comfortable about it or it may sound like they're bragging. That night, I heard something that I had heard before, and I heard later when I was a commander of American Legion Post in Carrollton, Texas. I was a member of the post for years until we moved away. And... I never met a war hero. When people of the American Legion Post would talk about their service with each other, and we would pick on each other, you know, we were merciless. We'd go after members of the Army like me, we'd go after Marines, and we'd go after the Navy, and the Navy would come after us, and the Air Force would come after us, and it was back and forth all the time. We could do that. Nobody from the outside could come in and criticize any of the veterans in that post. But nobody in that post ever talked about their medals, ever talked about any acts of heroism. They talked about their buddies who had been heroes. And that's what I heard that night in Baltimore, Maryland, from the members of the 87th. They talked about their friends. They would sit at the table, and one of them would point to the guy next to him and say, this guy's a hero. Did you know he got a, a silver star? Or this guy over here, he got the silver star and bronze star. And the person they would point to would sort of, you know, nod his head, and that would be it. No bragging. Some of the people who were pointing to others had also earned a bronze star, or more than one, or a silver star. But you didn't hear that from them. You heard it from their buddies. That was what it was all about. That's what it's still about among our military. My oldest son, when he was at Mosul in Iraq, sent me a video. He was due to come back at home in about three days. And I got up one morning, stumbling around, half asleep still, my coffee, turning on the Internet. There was a video from him and said, Dad, check this out. It's really neat. I turn on this video, and there's a video of an American convoy barreling down a highway outside of Mosul. There's an armored vehicle leading the convoy, an armored personnel, or an armored SUV where they're filming from, and another armored vehicle. 
all of a sudden a car explodes on the side of the road and the front of the SUV caves in. You see the camera bouncing around as the flames are shooting up towards the windshield and they're trying to bail out. Then the camera goes black, but you hear the, the sound of automatic gunfire. They, they're being ambushed. The camera comes back on a few minutes later and they're filming a soldier, an American soldier, kneeling in the middle of the highway, firing his weapon. The cameraman says something to him, and the kid looks up at the camera and grins, and it's my son. And like an idiot, I'm yelling at the computer screen, son, focus. You're not at a high school football game waving, hi, mom, you're in a firefight in Iraq. Later, I learned that this was a, a big victory for uh, you know, our troops. They caught the enemy out of the open, and they clobbered them. We had no casualties, no losses. Although they did try to give my son, the Army did, a Purple Heart because he had been in command of the convoy. He had been in the lead vehicle. When the explosion had occurred, he had bailed out of the lead vehicle to cover his men. And when he hit the ground, he severely sprained his ankle. Now, technically, under the provisions for receiving a Purple Heart, if you are injured in any way while under fire, while in combat, you're entitled to a Purple Heart. My son turned it down, and I asked him why, and he said, Dad, every day I'm going to the hospital in the evening, and I'm seeing men under my command or friends of mine who have been all shot to hell. They deserve Purple Hearts. I'm not going to take one for a sprained ankle. And I think that was the proudest I've ever been with a boy. But that's what I saw when I interviewed these World War II veterans. And that's what I wrote about in this book. It's called The Mortarman. It's available in paperback on Amazon. It's available as an e-book on Barnes & Noble. They're reformatting it because Barnes & Noble has changed their formatting requirements for paperbacks. But it should be available there pretty soon. And they're Right now, the publisher is working, working on getting it back as an e-book on Amazon. But it was there, and Amazon, they did some bizarre stuff all of a sudden. And they've been doing bizarre stuff to particularly conservative authors. I had three books on there as e-books, and they all of a sudden dropped them all as e-books. You can still buy the paperbacks. You can still buy hardback of my newest novel, The Rag. But I encourage you to consider buying a copy of The Mortarman and giving it to your son or daughter to read. Let them see what World War II was all about. Let them see the heroism of the men who fought during that war. You can buy the copy of the book through me directly if you want an autograph copy. You can go to www.michaelconnelly.jigsy.com. My website you can access through the American Web Radio website. And you can order the copy to me for me directly. If you're going to do that, please do it in the next week or so so I can make sure you get it in time for Christmas. You can also, like I said, get it on Amazon. You can get it on Barnes & Noble. You can order it, I believe, through Walmart. They all, all the major book sites out there have the book. They've also got copies of my two patriotic novels, Amigalia, Story of America, and The Rag, my newest, the one that's been under vicious attack by the left, because it's a story of America standing up and, and fighting for its freedom, Americans doing that. 
and the left hates it, which is great. I love to, to hack off the left. But you can get copies of that, too. Um, get it as a hardback, paperback, or you can get it on as a notebook, an e-book, on uh, Barnes & Noble. You can also go to my website to order copies of my booklet, Our Constitution, which make great stock, stocking stuffers and provide people with the entire Constitution printed the way it was originally written with my comments about what it really means. So, ladies and gentlemen, I've enjoyed being with you today. And I look forward to, to talking to you again next week. And again, think about what happened 75 years ago. Talk to your children and grandchildren about it. Make them remember. Or make them, they can't remember it, but at least they can know about it. And I'll talk to you again next week. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.